Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.6 FM in Mtata. Well, we wrap up this. Uh, <laughs> we wrap up the show today. I almost said this week. Uh, not quite over with the week yet. We still have Friday to get through. Uh, but we wrap up the conversation today, looking at allergies. And um, you know, Professor Jonathan Peter is the head of allergy and immunology unit, and also the head of the division of allergy. Geology and Clinical Immunology in the Department of Medicine at the University of Cape Town. I mean, Professor Peter, <laughs> after after I struggled even reading that, I'm not quite sure I know what you do, but I'm sure you're about to explain it to me. <laughs> it just sounds really, really important. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? But I think just stick with allergy. Okay, great. You know, summarize it as, I do allergy. That's what I do. <laughs> That's fantastic. And and th- this week, of course, is is allergy week, and um, so many different allergies that people suffer w- suffer from. And and perhaps you can talk to us about some of the the main issues that you're dealing with, especially within the South African demographic. Yeah. So I think that this um, you're right. This week, World Allergy Week, 13 to 19th of June, and the focus globally. So every year we kind of pick a different aspect of allergy to focus on mm. and this this year the focus is on something called anaphylaxis and the reason we've chosen to focus on anaphylaxis this year is because anaphylaxis is the worst of our allergy reactions it is severe and it can be life-threatening and so unfortunately every year there are deaths from anaphylaxis and anaphylactic reactions uh, occur to foods we see them to insect venom and in fact in south africa uh, venom, so like bee sting uh, anaphylaxis, is in fact the, the commonest cause of anaphylaxis mm-hmm. in South Africa. And we also see them to different types of medications as well. So it occurs to you know individuals around the world, and also uh, anaphylaxis cases occur in both children and in adults uh, in South Africa. Fortunately, compared to the bulk of allergic disease, like for instance, you know, hay fever or asthma, which, you know, hay fever affects about 30% of the South African population. Anaphylaxis is fortunately a rare event in that context. But because it's the most severe, we really feel that people, not just people that suffer from anaphylaxis, so, you know, allergy sufferers that might know a bit more about it, but actually we're also trying to raise awareness about anaphylaxis to the general public. Mm. Because when you see someone, you might be out in a restaurant you might be out in the countryside or on the mountain or something, and you see somebody with having an event like this, actually knowing what to do or knowing what to, how to recognize it, being aware of it, actually could save someone's life. So that's why we, we're trying to just raise this uh, awareness all, all around. What is anaphylaxis? So what anaphylaxis is, the main features of it, is it's usually um, about 70% of the time it involves some kind of skin manifestation or some Mm -hmm. kind of mucosa's manifestation. And most people will have heard about hives. So oftentimes the starting point of of anaphylaxis is just simply itching, itching of the palms, itching in the head, and then that might follow by actually getting wheels on the skin or a rash. Mm -hmm. So something visible like that. And then also you can get swellings. So you might have a lip that starts to swell or an eye that starts to swell up. So that we call angioedema. So those cutaneous signs, a rash and 
swelling of the face or lips or something like that, that will occur in about 70% of cases of anaphylaxis. But normally, the thing about anaphylaxis is often, you know, a milder allergy reaction might just stop there. You might have a bit of a rash. You might have a little bit of a swollen lip. It might Mm -hmm. stop there. But anaphylaxis will progress and can progress within minutes, and that's what's so dangerous about it, and then will involve something else. So if people might start to then get symptoms in their gastrointestinal tract, they might start with vomiting or terrible abdominal cramps, Mm. and then people might start to feel dizzy or even collapse and become unconscious, or they might get a tight chest, like what we would know about asthma, people that are wheezing or struggling to breathe. So really it's this, It's the key that often it will start with the skin or something like that, and it will then progress over the course of a few minutes to involve those other things. And that's why people need urgent attention. So raising awareness to those symptoms, I think, is key. And obviously to the triggers, we mentioned, you know, I mentioned the food triggers Mm. and and the insect venoms or medication. So those are the common three groups. You, you, you know, I suppose it, it would be easier to, to identify um, the the triggers in terms of the venom because obviously if you're stung by a bee, yep. uh, you could well know that you've been stung by a bee. But with the food triggers, how does one go about identifying that they are actually responding to uh, a food substance? So that's a, that's a good point. So firstly, we know, I mean, the... We have certain foods that are much more likely, much, much like account for most of the triggering of anaphylaxis. So Mm. the peanuts, people might have heard of peanut allergy, especially maybe from schools with a kid with peanut allergy in the school, Uh, egg, milk, fish, shellfish, soya and wheat. These are the most common uh, groups of food. And then, I mean, your point about having an awareness is key, right? So often what we will see is we as allergists will look and and investigate the cause of a food allergy in somebody that's had an episode of anaphylaxis. Mm. And what we insist on people doing is if they have experienced anaphylaxis to a food, we get, we ask them and we, we insist that they get something like a medical alert bracelet. And so actually, if you're the general public and you come across somebody that has collapsed, one of the first things you should do uh, if you're worried this could be anaphylaxis is look to see, are they wearing a medical alert bracelet? Because often in that instance, the medical alert bracelet will say two very, very important things. The one thing it might say is allergic to peanut. And then you see it and you think, okay, then that makes even more likely the person suffering from anaphylaxis. Mm. And then the second thing it might say is that the person carries adrenaline or an adrenaline auto-injector because the key treatment for anaphylaxis is early administration of adrenaline. And so you might find that if you find that information on a person, for instance, that's unconscious, you could look in their bag or in their pocket or something, and you might find their auto-adrenaline auto-injector, which would be able, allow you to administer that to them mm. and save their life. So, so I think you, you raised two very important aspects. So, so when it comes to, you know, the, the triggers again, are these triggers that can be identified from early childhood? Uh, so, so what I'm asking is, is, is it possible to, to, to live your whole life into adulthood only to then to, to start developing allergic reactions that cause anaphylaxis um, later on in life? That's a good question. So, so the answer to your question is yes. You can develop new food allergy even as an adult. 
Um, so you can present with a food-induced anaphylaxis. Most commonly in adults, food allergies to shellfish or nuts are mm. the common two ones that we see for the first time. And then the second thing is that many people, though, will start with their first food allergy in childhood. And some of those food allergies will be outgrown. So they will actually get better. So things like egg and milk, quite commonly, children, young children are able to get over that food allergy. So they might have an allergy to egg or milk as a child. And then as they get into teenager and adulthood, that allergy will resolve. However, some of the other allergies to foods like peanuts and shellfish and even to egg and milk might persist into adulthood. So I think, I think that answers some of your questions. So commonly we see food allergies much more frequently in children, and some of those will be outgrown, but people shouldn't be uh, shouldn't think that it can't possibly be a food mm. if for the first time they have anaphylaxis as an adult. Now, what's interesting to know about anaphylaxis, additionally to that, is that about 30% of people will have anaphylaxis that we don't have a cause for, right? And that can sometimes happen in adulthood. And definitely, if you have anaphylaxis for the first time, you should be obviously go to hospital as soon as possible. And two, you should be investigated to find out what the possible causes are. That's very important. And sometimes, though, what we will do is the next step of, our, of what we're saying. Those are all part of being aware, being aware of what the symptoms are, being aware of what causes it. The next thing is about being prepared. Because believe it or not, even if you don't know what the trigger is, right, if you are prepared that you might be somebody that suffers with anaphylaxis, and in particular, you carry adrenaline with you, usually in the form of an adrenaline auto-injector that's very easy to administer without having any medical training, then you actually, early administration of, 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 of adrenaline will actually stop the reaction altogether and, and can definitely save lives. So, yeah. so that's the second part of our statement, which is trying to raise awareness, getting people to be prepared to treat and know how to look and manage anaphylaxis. One of the questions that I have, uh, Professor Peter, is if I've never been stung by a bee or by a snake or, <laughs> or, or any of, of the other elements that could be external triggers for anaphylaxis, how do I know if I'm in the risk category um, of, 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 the, of the group of people who will respond in a particular way? Yes, that's a good question. So, I mean, so a lot of people... Um, have, you know, in terms of venom exposures, they they will have been stung before. And normally if you've been stung once and not had a major problem or even twice, you will know that that you are unlikely to be in that high risk category. Equally so, you can have anaphylaxis from the very on the you know, the like you stung as an adult and maybe you were stung once that sensitized you in the past and now you have it and you didn't have it before, and now you get anaphylaxis. So, so, so kind of like anybody should be aware of this. Uh, and there are certain groups of people, though, people that are highly allergic to other things, people like, interestingly, the commonest group that have anaphylaxis to bees are beekeepers, because repeated bee venom, uh, envenomation, or repeated bee stings, actually increases your likelihood of developing a more severe reaction. Mm. So there's a couple of groups that are at high risk, but, but, you know, like, I, I don't think people should worry about it unnecessarily. If, you, if you're not allergic, it would be quite unlikely in the general population to develop a severe bee sting anaphylaxis on mm. the first time you're exposed. But the point of the matter is it does happen, and that's why we want people in the public to be aware of it. You might well be with somebody at an outdoor event or something like that, 
when somebody gets stung and develops anaphylaxis, even without a history of having that before. So I think the importance is that we are able to recognize the the symptoms and treat as appropriate. Professor Peter, just before I let you go, I think it's important for you to to also clarify for us the difference between an allergy and and, 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 an intolerance, especially where, where the food stuffs are concerned. Yes, so I think I think that's very important. So, you know, like an intolerance to what we normally see is very few intolerances give people severe life-threatening reactions. So, you know, you might have an intolerance where you take, uh, you know, wheat being a good example. You might take uh, ingest gluten and people find that might give them bloating, abdominal bloating, maybe some diarrhea. You know, some people report those kinds of symptoms. But they tend never to really get worse than that. However, if you have a genuine uh, IgE-mediated allergy to wheat, then what you will see is you will, in addition to maybe getting some GIT or or abdominal symptoms, you would have potentially get anaphylaxis with the full-blown picture of collapse. You might get, you know, hives. You might get angioedema or swellings. And that would progress rapidly if you're exposed to wheat and be life-threatening without treatment. So I think that that, for me, is the key distinction between the two. Do you know what I mean? So intolerances, they do occur. They're not known to be mediated by the special antibody, which is an allergic antibody, and they tend and they will be much less severe. So if you have anaphylaxis, then you need to be assessed and investigated as having a proper food allergy that you need to have the appropriate level mm-hmm. of awareness for and the appropriate level of preparation in understanding how to treat it quickly and effectively. Professor Jonathan Peter, let me thank you so much for your time this morning. He is the head of allergy. He's given permission uh, for me to leave it at that at the, in the Department of Medicine at the University of Cape Town. Really great to um, just hear some of his insights and to really raise awareness around anaphylaxis, as you've just heard. Okay, Sakina Kamwendo is coming up on the update at noon in a bit. A couple of WhatsApp voice notes before we hand you over. Hi, Sis Katie. Sis Katie, I just want to comment on this debt counselor. Sis Katie, I hope the companies that are running debt, debt counselors, they can tell us the truth. Because what they do, they don't tell us that your accounts are going to be in areas while you're paying to them. They're not telling us that truth. They must just tell us the truth. It's really sad. You pay the debt counselors, the next thing, your account will go to areas. You spend over 10 years paying one account because it's on areas. Thank you, Siskedi. Hi there, this is Mark from East London. Um, why is it, I've been on debt, uh, debt counseling for a number of years now, and to try and get uh, my debt, debt counselor to give me balances on 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 uh, some of my accounts that are on this uh, on this uh, debt counselling, it's non-existent. I I can't get any balances from these because people. We send them emails, we ask them, we phone them. You just don't get uh, any balances from these guys. 
Yeah, and Shaks, I wish that I had known that because we I would have asked Timmy what the recourse is um, for um, you know for clients who feel that they are not being treated fairly or efficiently by their debt counsellors. I do re- remember him saying that you can log complaints um, online with them, but uh, the challenge, of course, is the turnaround time there. All right, it's midday. It's over to Sakina Kamwendo on the update at noon. Of course, we'll be back with you again tomorrow morning.